0: Hello and welcome back to The Train Happy Podcast. My name is Tally and this week we are joined by the brilliant Sophie Butler. She is a fitness coach and she is a disabled woman and recently she put some brilliant content up online and I speak about this in our chat but she put some brilliant content up online um, educating people around disability, um, the term disabled. I think it's really important that we have these conversations on the Train Happy podcast, particularly when talking about fitness. As uh, disabled people are often left out of the fitness conversation, so I was really grateful to have Sophie on this week. And just before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know about the brand new event I have launched. It's an online virtual event. It's an interactive online workshop called Intuitive Movement 101. So if you have been interested in the discussion around intuitive movement about creating a more peaceful relationship with exercise about learning to see exercise as self-care rather than self-punishment um, then this is the event for you there's going to be a online workshop we're going to work through the intuitive movement principles and if you have my book train happy you'll have seen them in there but we're going to get into them in a bit more depth then we're going to have a QA session and we're going to finish with a dance party because this is all about finding the fun in fitness and i'm telling you now a dance party workout is the most fun the event is on Wednesday the 12th of August, it will be at 7pm UK time and it will last for just over 2 hours and about 15 minutes. Um, this is because there's so much to pack in so you can find the link to the event in the show notes, you can find out about uh, more about the event as well as booking your spot. Um, I'm hoping because it's 7pm UK time that means we can open up to you international listeners and I really look forward to seeing as many of you there as possible. So uh, before we get into it, remember if you do enjoy this episode be sure to tag us at train happy podcast use the hashtag train happy podcast and that's about it let's get into the episode so sophie welcome to the podcast how are you doing i'm very good thank you how are you i'm good i'm good i feel like i don't know about you but it's mid july and i'm just struggling when we're recording this and i'm just wondering like when did that happen
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I, I, I had this moment the other day and I was like, I think I said something like, oh, well, it's only, you know, May. And someone looked at me, I think it was my stepmom, and was like, well, no, it's nearly August.
0: And I was like, what? I was like, I've spent half the year inside. <laughs> I know. I've no concept of time. I feel so confused. Um, how have you coped with lockdown? How's it been in general? Um
1: on and off, like not too bad. I think that the strange thing for me is I, I work from home anyway. So in terms of I'm not used to like going to a job. And like doing, you know, seeing people at work and that sort of stuff. Like, you know, as well, like when you're mm-hmm. when you're self-employed, it's like you're you're very used to that kind of more isolated life. Um, and I'm not a social butterfly of in terms of like going out drinking at the weekends and stuff. But the things that I have missed is just being able to just get out and go. If I'm feeling a bit low, like if I'm having kind of like, do you know you're just having like them bad days? Normally I'll just get in my car, go drive somewhere, I'll go work in out of a Starbucks as a treat or something. So it's and not being able to go to the gym as well, like not being able to just do them things. That's what I've kind of like really struggled with.
0: Have you found working out from home? Have you been like really motivated with it? Because I have to say, I found it really hard. Like I'm really missing the gym.
1: Yeah, I found it a lot harder than what I thought I would. I think having that space where, you know, actually going to the gym is like just such like a thing for my mindset like I found if I work from home I can actually really only work out from the garden so every time I have done a home workout it's complete like it's a garden workout because I physically cannot work out in the house like I have to go to a section like of my deck we got like decking outside so I know I know that part of the decking is like my little workout area but even then I feel like I have weeks where I'm on it and then I have weeks where I'm like I don't want to do this <laughs> I yeah to the gym <laughs>
0: Yeah I I felt the same to be honest I've like So when we're recording this Gyms are opening this weekend I am actually going away for a week So I actually won't get back to the gyms But I'm just excited to physically go somewhere Like I feel like I need a separate space to uh, Otherwise at home in my flat Um, I'm working out in the place that I'm also working in the place that is my relaxation area which is the living room and there's just no separation I need to like compartmentalize right when I'm here I'm in the work zone when I'm on the sofa I'm relaxing when I'm at the gym I'm focused on moving otherwise I just otherwise I just get a bit guilty of being like oh I should be doing this work or I need to like put a wash on or I need you know what I mean just it's hard it's hard I feel like yeah every so often I don't mind it at all but consistently I just have wanted to get out of the house. So um, I have followed you for such a long time um, and I'm sure people listening have followed you as well but for those of um, listening who you are new to can you just tell them Sophie like how you ended up working online full-time in social media in fitness and just your journey in general? Yeah absolutely so it's something that I, I always say that
1: I like fell into it I never kind of really searched it out or was like, "Oh, I'm gonna do this." It was just kind of like I remember one day someone called me an influencer and I was like, "I'm a what?" <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, well, that's what you do, isn't it?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I kind of guess so." So I kind of fell into it. So it kind of really started when um, I got into fitness in general when I was at uni. Um, so it was my second year of uni, and it was like you know, proper uni vibe. So really really bad diet and i mean like really bad just eating like microwave pizzas every day um really not care what i'm putting into my body lots of drinking and it just really was not a good space for my mental health especially considering i was meant to be getting my degree as well so it just really wasn't a good environment for my body and my mind so i remember a friend that i worked with my part-time job was really into fitness and she was like come to the gym with me and i remember thinking no i'm not going (laughs) to the gym and it was a proper one of them like proper like bro like chain gyms and I was like I have no way I'm going there Um, but I ended up going and then I think after a few sessions I kind of I just sort of really just sort of fell in love with it um so that's kind of where my journey with fitness began in general and then by the end of my degree my degree is in psychology I finished my degree but I kind of knew that I didn't want to go into clinical psychology and I didn't want to follow the path that I originally thought I wanted to um so I knew I wanted to pursue fitness but I didn't necessarily know I would end up pursuing it through social media and the way that I have, I just knew that I kind of wanted to um, promote healthy lifestyle in a more sort of holistic way and looking at uh, fitness and gym and looking after ourselves in a way that wasn't completely fixated on aesthetics and it's looking a certain way. Um, And then it was in July, 2017 that I had an accident. So it's actually a training injury Um, So I ended up breaking my back and that accident is what led me to be paralysed. So if you, I mean, if your listeners, obviously they can't see, but I'm a full-time wheelchair user, so I'm paralysed from the waist down, it was from that accident um so it was after that really that I kind of fell into the social media side of things um so I didn't have my injury and then think oh I'm going to document this um but I just kind of sort of started to post stuff as maybe like a bit of a release I think it was and more of like a personal sort of diary um you know sometimes we'll go on to like Twitter or Instagram, sometimes we forget it's public when you start using it like a diary. So I guess that's kind of what I was doing. And I was just kind of posting things that were happening. And um, it kind of started to gain quite a bit of traction. And people started to, I started to gain quite a bit of a following. And it was still kind of a bit confusing to me because I was like, this is my life, it's what I'm living. Um, So it was just kind of weird to me that it kind of got like it became like this thing and that people were interested in. But the more people were interested in it, the more I sort of started, became more sort of amazed by my own journey because I had achieved all of these things in you know getting out of hospital and getting back to life and doing all these things I didn't realize how great they were until I took a moment to stop and think oh god you're really building something quite amazing here um So it really was my journey from going out from being discharged from hospital and getting back into the gym, I think, which is what really sort of started to inspire people and really sort of gained people's attention. Um, And so I just started, you know, posting workout videos that were more sort of obviously because where I'm a wheelchair user, I had to learn how to work out from a wheelchair because I became a wheelchair user at 21. So I knew nothing about disability, I knew nothing about fitness with a disability, like I was really ignorant and uneducated before my injury and before I had my disability. So I went to the gym and I just looked at the equipment and I took a little notebook with me and I started writing down all the exercises that I could see myself doing and that I knew that I could do with this kind of like new body. And it just kind of went from there. And then I ended up, we're talking maybe like a year and a half later, um, getting sponsored by (laughs) Gymshark. So it was kind of like there was like a long journey in between that. Um, And I guess that was kind of like around the time that I was really like, wow, I, I guess I'm kind of in the fitness industry.
0: <laughs> Did you have help when you were going through physio and things with people helping you navigate the gym environment, or was it literally very much like right i've had this previous knowledge i 've now just got to apply this to sitting essentially like you know i've yeah. seen your videos it 's like lots of um like lap pull downs and things like that cable machines yeah, yeah so really what it, i didn't
1: have really any help with adapting the workouts i mean. I, when I was in, so I think for a bit of context, I was in hospital for four months. So my injury was in July, and I got out of hospital in November. So I was in a general hospital for about six weeks, and then I was in a special spinal rehabilitation unit for three months. But it was when I was in that spinal rehabilitation unit that I suffered. I mean, I do still have PTSD and depression, mm-hmm. um, and it's something now that I manage and I live with it, and I'm, I'm very open about. I've always been very open about it. Um, but when I was in rehab, it was at a time. Where it was brand new, it was fresh, and it I wasn't, I'd only just been diagnosed with it. Um, so they did try to get me to go back to the gym because they had an adapted gym actually in the physio centre. And I now in hindsight, I regret not making the most of it because it's one of the only properly adapted gyms in the country. Um so but now, but at the time I I didn't realise, you know, how, what a luxury that would be. Um, but I just could not face going into the gym. I went to the gym and they were trying to show me, go, okay, so you have this equipment and you know blah 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 blah. and I just I just couldn't physically be in there so for me PTSD it's not so much triggered of being in the actual gym environment it's it can be triggered really anywhere so in things like loud noises um hospital shows things like Holby City Casualty I just physically cannot watch um and yeah just things like that and so that really impacted my journey with getting back to the gym because that meant that I missed out on that bit within the in the hospital in rehab where um I guess they kind of would have helped me a little bit more with that I mean I do have physio which has been put on delay now because of COVID Mm. but I go to physio once a week now but that's more based on um it's more like physio where it's like um, focusing on things that I don't do inside the gym so like standing up exercises and standing frame and things like that things that are kind of like more working on using my whole body, whereas when I'm in the gym, I really had to learn from scratch, and I really had to just do like trial and error and kind of work out what this new body could do.
0: And I wonder if, like, having been there before, um, like pre-injury as an able-bodied person going into the gym, thinking like everything here is accessible to me, and then going to the gym again, like in your wheelchair, and thinking wow this is like a whole different perspective what were the differences because like you said I I think you know I'm ignorant about these things because if you haven't had the experience there's so little education around it and I'd love to just kind of learn about your just what the different perspective is and just what things you're thinking about that you know I wouldn't have to think about
1: Yeah so I think with accessibility it's a really um well first of all it's a really sort of umbrella term because I always say when we're talking about disability is I I shouldn't be everyone's point of call when it comes to disability Mm. um because obviously disability is so varied and there's so many other disabilities and within our own um disabled community there's so many people who have varying struggles and varying privileges as well like I'm very aware that I didn't have to go for the education system as a disabled person um I you know lived 21 years of my life as an able-bodied so I do still carry a lot of privilege from them 21 years but um the thing that I noticed when I was going back into the gym was um that people don't really understand what accessibility is as you say yourself like you're still quite confused as to you know what I wouldn't be able to do what you can. So I think a lot of people think as long as there's a disabled toilet and as long as there is a parking space that has a wheelchair user sign on it, that it's um, accessible. And normally by law, that means that it is. So uh, the law is very vague on it. The law more protects accessibility rather than what I like to call inclusivity. So for me to go to a gym and it's be inclusive, you go in there and the pathways will be clear, first of all, Um, which as you know, most gyms aren motions are very messy, mm-hmm. um, which can be down to a lot of the people in the gym um, not leaving it in a very uh, should we say courteous <laughs> state from when they leave um, so that 's one thing that I noticed is uh, when people just leave things all over the floor, but then obviously you will be able to come in and then just pick them up and move them whereas i can 't do that quite as easy, especially if it 's just some massive gym bro that 's just left a 30 kilogram dumbbell right in front of me there 's no way that 's being moved, um, so things like that. Um, as well with the resistance machines they are just inaccessible to me um, and the reason why they're inaccessible is because a lot of the resistance machines in this country the seats are actually fixed to the actual machine um, so there are some gyms and there is actually a list um, and if anyone was interested there is a list I think it's on the gov site um, or it might be on the mobility site where it actually has a list of all the gyms that are inclusive Um, so if you go onto that site, it will tell you what these gyms have. Um, and one of the things is the resistance machines. I think there's only about eight gyms in the country that actually have these resistance machines where the seat swings away So, Mm -hmm. someone with a wheelchair will be able to wheel up to the machine and use the machine. So, say for a chest press, for example, you could move the seat away, it literally just hooks up, swings away, you get in there with your wheelchair and then you can use the chest press machine um, without the seat in the way. So, I think a lot of people just expect you to, oh, well, you can get in and out of your car, just get on... Just get on the chair and use hmm. the machine um which you wouldn't be able to do because where i'm paralyzed from the waist down obviously my balance my core is off um and no matter how much i train my balance will never be a hundred percent and if i'm lifting heavy which i do um it's just not it's just not feasible it's not safe um so i rely a lot on free weights and the cable machines and then um, the cable machines is another thing as well, because you're actually, and they do have signs on them in, in most gyms, when you leave them, you're meant to leave them at your hip height, so that, some, so that when the next person comes, no matter who they are, they can reach it. But obviously a lot of people don't think about that. Um, yeah, just little things like that. They're the things that I've picked up on, like through my experience. But then I know there are some people um, with like varying disabilities who struggle with like a manner of different things.
0: That's so... Yeah so interesting and like you said even just the cable machines now I can think of a time when I've definitely left it wherever I finished doing what I was doing and didn't think about it and that's an easy thing that I can now consciously do and just be like okay just put it back to the middle super super easy thing so hopefully like people listening can incorporate that so before we move on any further I feel like we should and you know part of the reason why I kind of reached out and said can we have a chat is because you've just done some brilliantly informative content recently around um, educating people about um, having a disability having disability and I, the, the most recent post I saw was a post she did about using the term disability and like saying is it offensive so I feel like we should just answer that before we kind of carry on is it offensive to say use the word disabled because I have in the past heard from other people who are I think with you know best intentions trying to be inclusive and you know feel like they're saying I think have said you shouldn't say someone's disabled they should be differently abled but I know that Um, that varies, so I would just love to hear your thoughts on that, and yeah, what you think about the term disabled. Yeah, so I started this series,
1: um, and it kind of evolved into Sunday School with (laughs) which is what I'm calling it now, where um, I'm basically just taking a load of different questions of things that I know sometimes people, uh, it's probably in people's search bars, or it's things that I've been asked myself, and I wanted to start with is, just, is the term disabled offensive, because I feel like it's a very good foundation for everything that I talk about in general. Um, and really that, that question really stems from, is the term disabled offensive? Because the, when I live my life as a disabled woman, the question that I'm always asking myself is, am I offensive to people? Mm -hmm. am i offensive to able-bodied people um and of course they're going to get on defensive and say no of course not why would i be offended i support you and blah 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 and you know whatever (laughs) but then i'm thinking okay if i'm my if my existence isn't offensive to you why do you treat me and the community like it is why do we face so much stigmatization why do we face so many battles um why are we still not included and sometimes physically um allowed and be able to access so many spaces so if disability truly is inoffensive why are disabled people treated like it is offensive so for me that is where the the question come from so i wanted to to break down the question into kind of like loads of different different avenues um and so as you say you've heard people say the term like differently abled and loads of different things and i've i've heard loads of different things um and i think it's important to note as well that i've said before the disabled community is so varying and there's so many you know people with different disabilities who have had different experiences and who have lived different lives um and it's kind of a, a, a battle of two sides because there's kind of the battle without with um outside of the disabled community where we're we're you know fighting the cause outside and then it's also a battle we're fighting within because a lot of disabled people actually can't decide in our own circles what is right and what is wrong. And I think it's important to note that within the disabled community there is no right and wrong. If a disabled person tells me, actually, I would prefer this term, I'm not gonna sit there and argue with them. I'm gonna say, okay, that's your experience. You have lived your life your way, and I'm gonna respect your disability and the way that you want to identify. But if an able-bodied person was to turn around and say, actually, no, I don't like that. I'm going to call you differently abled. I'm going to say, well, no, this is where you're going to sit down and listen, (laughs) because you don't have that disability. You don't have that lived experience. So you don't get to tell me Um, I don't have to respect or tolerate what you want to call me. Um, So I think the term, like, for example, if we break down the term differently abled, it kind of stems from the need of able-bodied people to just bypass disability and to kind of ignore disability and sometimes as you say unknowingly and with the best intentions but it all stems from internalized ableism and unconscious bias because if disabled truly was inoffensive and if we wasn't scared of disability and if we you know were inclusive to disability then we wouldn't be afraid of saying the term disabled
0: yeah, definitely. And I, like I said, the person who said differently able to me was not a disabled person. So in, you know, in this instance, I am going to listen to your perspective because like you have that lived experience and you know what you want to be, you know, identify as, you know, what feels comfortable for you. And I really loved in your post I think you said the phrase um if you're gonna say disability say it with your chest and I love that I just love the energy of it I was like yes Sophie.
1: (laughs) This problem of well as well of when you kind of scoot around the term disability and when you're when you're so afraid to say the word disabled I'm like you're also missing out on opportunity to actually help the disabled community if you can't even say the word disabled how are you going to support the disabled community like if you can't even you know um if you can't refer to us without referring to us as an extension of your own able-bodied identity we need to be seen so we can be heard and we Mm. need Call us what we are, which is we are disabled. Um, Because when you then bypass that, you are then actually bypassing all of the things that we need to function in society. So if we're not going to say disabled, we're not going to talk about disability. So then I guess, okay, we're not going to talk about um, accessibility in public transport, accessibility into education, um, financial equity, and things like that. It's all of these um, avenues in life which then get missed. And people say, oh, well, why can't, you know, it's it's like why can't we all just be all human well yes but we don't all have the same starting field and we don't all have the same playing field a lot of us have different obstacles and things to overcome so they need to be recognized
0: is that this when people say like i don't see disability um and you know they're saying that with i imagine they're saying that because they want to say like we treat, treat everyone equally i think of everyone the same but um as you kind of said, like, does it just kind of erase the needs that you, the additional needs that you might have to make things accessible to you? And so then like, we do go into gyms and don't lower the cable thing and do do and do leave weights out and things in the way of people because we don't see disability. And, you know, like, like I said, it's kind of the, the best intention, but kind of falls really flat. (laughs) So I always say your intention and your
1: impact are two very different things. And it doesn't matter what your intention is, if your impact doesn't have, um, you know, your what you intended, you then need to rectify the issue. Um, by whatever means that is if it's education um, or you know physical act whatever it is you need to understand that your intention and your impact um, are two very different things and it's exactly right when people say I don't see disability and I'm like well that's obvious because you're being ableist right in front of me (laughs) when people Mm. say that I'm like well clearly I can see that because you're being very ableist but um, yeah and it's just very it's, it's all, it goes back to that thing of people just wanting to, to bypass, bypass disability. And when people say to me, I don't see you as disabled, I say, what do you mean by that? Oh, um, well, you know, you just don't seem disabled. You're not like other disabled people. And I'm sitting there thinking, why do you think this is a safe space for you to say that? That's my community. Um hmm. And what, and what they, you know, normally the responses that come from that go, like, oh, you know, you're beautiful, you, um, you know, you've got a good job, you're successful, things like this. And I go, oh, so what you mean is you're not used to seeing disabled people represented with beauty, Sexuality, success, um determination, and things like this. So, you then erase my identity because you're not used to seeing that represented. Um,
0: and it's they kind of look at me like, oh no, <laughs> I'm being unpacked. <laughs> but I also think, like, we're at this point in time, I think, socially, where, where we need to have these conversations. Like, yeah all these you know when we've had this um ongoing anti-racism conversation and we're talking about like the intersections of um different people's identities and things like that like we need to be able to to i think be challenged and just go okay like there's a my angelo angelo quote which i love which is once you know better you do better um and so i think you know, we need to be open-minded to being challenged because then we're going to know better and then we're going to do better. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I think we just have to be open-minded to that. And, you know... I, something I always
1: say is um, for, for you to truly learn, you have to sacrifice your desire to be right to truly make an impact. Because I think it's human nature to always, you know, want to be right and want to be seen as, you know, one of the good ones. Um, when in reality, that doesn't benefit me whatsoever. Um, you know, you, um, not. Um, when I say you, obviously I'm not meaning you in particular. <laughs> you know, um, but um, when I see people trying to, you know, um, think out loud in my comment section and trying to prove how good they are when it comes to disability. I think, why are you thinking out loud here? Why are you projecting here? And it's not necessarily offensive or annoys me. It just kind of gets me thinking. And I think you trying to act as one of the woke, able-bodied people doesn't actually help me in any way, shape or form. Um, It's not about you as an able-bodied person. So you need to detach yourself from the issue. Um, it's like when we talk about issues of race. I mean, me being disabled doesn't make me immune to white privilege um, as a white person. So when it comes to issues of race, I understand that I my goal isn't to look like one of the good white people. My goal is to look at the system of white supremacy and go, right, how do I benefit from it? How have I upheld it and how can I now help to dismantle it? Um, and I think that it's, that's the idea of people need to really take their ego out of what they're trying to do but I think people get so defensive because it's so natural to attach yourself so intrinsically to an issue Mm,
0: yes and yeah especially there's a lot of ego in it and a lot of um pride I think and a lot of like hurt pride and and bruised egos which cause the kind of defense mechanism of the kind of pushback and I would love to hear more about um your experience being online, as a person who works in fitness, um, you know, being a Gymshark athlete, and having, you know, being like a visible person online, just like you said before, already, like having people in their comments kind of, like I said, thinking out loud, and maybe not necessarily engaging in discussions, but sometimes is it a case, do you find that people are talking about you rather than to you, or I don't, I mean, just what my me of being online sometimes I don't think people think you read their things they don't think you um will check your dms but you're like I'm a person I'm here um I would just love to hear more about that
1: Yeah, so I think that is definitely one issue of it, and I have had cases where people have said something that is maybe not very sensitive, and then obviously I read it, I reply, Um, and I think as the kind of person I am, I don't hold back. I'm not necessarily, I wouldn't say I'm rude anyway, but um, I, I don't hold back, I'm not afraid to put people in their place if I feel like... I'm, I'm not being treated with respect, um, whether it's on my page or whether it's off my page. Um, and people get very, very defensive when they you then start to call them out. But then I've also had, um, and I actually had like a three and a half hour FaceTime with one of my best friends last night. And we, and we, we always do this. We go into topics and we don't stop. And we <laughs> were talking about the idea of sexuality and disability and how the two terms aren't really put together in the same sentence um and I've found for we're just talking about experiences online and stuff I'm someone who is very liberated by my body I am very um I mean uh, my style is very uh, is it revealing I don't know it's just kind of what I've always worn um so but I have found that like after my disability there seems to be such an intrinsic link between people trying to able-bodied men trying to claim that um, and it's, and it's very, very strange. Some of the comments that I get, some of the DMs that I get are so sexually aggressive, which is one side of things of, of being disabled that I never, never expected to experience. I, you know, sometimes I do, uh, the other guy, the other day, I had a guy who literally sat on my page for like half an hour, just commenting, haha, you can't walk. And like jokes like that. And I was like, is that how you want win spend your Saturday evening boo? Like, I'm really quite sad for you. Like I'm sitting here with double cheeseburger and you're doing this, like, You know, so things like that, I'm like, okay, you kind of expect that because he's obviously got some issues going on in his own life um, and you just block and you move on. Um, But the issue around um, able-bodied men trying to claim a disabled woman's sexuality is something I'm um, starting to experience more and more uh, personally and it's a subject that I'm very, very interested in and want to research more in. Like I had a comment the other day and it was basically along the lines of... um, um, something along the lines of, oh, you're so attractive. Would love to put you in the wheelchair. Shame you're already there. It's an ego killer. But the bit that really got me was the back end of the comment, which was keep being beautiful beautiful, and an inspiration. So he clearly didn't say see that there was something wrong with what he was saying, which just completely puzzled me. Cause I looked at that comment, I put it in my group chat and I was like, I have no words. And my friends were just disgusted. And they were like, I can't believe you get comments and you get DMs like this every day. It's constant. Um, I now have to in the mornings I don't go on my phone for the first hour or two of being awake because I'm at risk and I know there's going to be something like that that I'm exposed to whether it's a comment a DM an inappropriate picture something like that that I now have to I have to plan for that Um, which I think is part of being a woman I think women do experience that but it's very interesting the intersection of that's never really spoken about is that um the way disabled women experience it and the way that you know able-bodied men feel like they have some kind of claim to a disabled woman's sexuality they don't know whether that's because they're not used to seeing it represented and so suddenly they feel a name, a, a need to claim it to feel like they're reclaiming what was never theirs to claim in the first place but it's a very interesting avenue which i found myself kind of spiraling down
0: <laughs> a lot yes and i feel like that's your psychology degree being put to yeah. use. <laughs> it's like, hmm, what is the what, what's the psyche behind this person? Like, why have they done that? Why are they doing this? um And slightly on that note, but you said that the person called you an inspiration, and there's something I wanted to talk about because I was watching one of your YouTube videos in q and A, Q&A, and you were talking about, and I think someone asked in that in that Q and A, and so I'm basically gonna steal that question. But like, how do you feel being called an inspiration? Um, because I was really in, um, interested in your answer that you gave and I would just love to kind of discuss it more in terms of you know I think people might follow you and think wow she's so inspiring she's in the gym she's doing these things you know um how, is that good is it bad what, what are your thoughts so I think it's a very it's a very leveled question
1: and I think there's so many different avenues to it and I think lots of different disabled people will have lots of different opinions on it I know for me personally it over the years and I think with every day I'm growing more and more tired of it Um, and I think that's the important thing to note about being disabled as well is you are experienced we're experiencing these things as they're happening to us and we're not only are we experiencing them we're also then having to deal with them and process them and then respond to able-bodied people at the same time so it's a lot to do and it's okay for disabled people to change their mind I know when I first started out my whole um, posts and social media was based around being an inspiration because I thought that's what a disabled person's role was and that was my internalized ableism from when I was able bodied I was carrying Mm -hmm. that over into thinking oh but disabled people are inspiring but now I'm in a place where it's um, over three years later and I'm breaking down as to you know realizing why that affects me so much so my my personal stance on it is it does great on me but it depends more on the context of the person why they're saying it and, and you know and and how they're saying it as well So. I think my journey is personally, I do think it is inspiring because I have had a really um, turbulent journey and a very hard hand dealt to me. But I have managed to make something out of it and I have managed to do something, become really successful and do loads of things. And um, I hope to continue to do that, um, which I do hope does inspire people. But I think when it starts to annoy me is when people see disabled people doing things in spaces that they don't expect them to be in. And when we break into systems and when we break into establishments where we're not, you know, loudly represented and it's not easy for us and there's no level playing for us, when people call us inspiring for basically breaking down ableism and breaking down discrimination, that is when it annoys me because I'm like, well, where are you in that fight? I need your voice. I need your activism. Um, so it's when, you know, I'm, I, sometimes I can be in Tesco and I've got a basket full of white monster and the worst food shop you could ever imagine. It's a mess. And someone will be like, so inspiring. I'm like, why, why do you think that's inspiring? I'm just existing my life. I'm not here to, I don't exist simply to inspire you. If you're inspired by my journey, then cool, because it is inspiring. But my existence shouldn't be inspiring to you because you should just be... Because the reason why you're inspired is because I don't fit the norm and because I have to break down so many barriers to be able to do the things that you can do so simply. You should just maybe keep your mouth shut and try to help us break down the
0: barriers. That is
1: what I would find more beneficial.
0: Do you feel it's because people don't see you as like a fully rounded human being who you're multifaceted and like, you know you're not just um Sophie the disabled girl who's an inspiration but you're actually Sophie who does this you're like you're super into fashion if you like like I said if anyone follows Sophie you know like she's (laughs) all about fashion like you've got different hobbies and interests and like the that part you share about of you like is part of it but it's It's, you know it's it's not like um are only yeah, and I think that's the issue that comes back to
1: representation, which is a big problem within our industry as a fitness industry, mm-hmm. but a big problem within many industries, you know, even you know, if we're going all the way up to Hollywood and film and media. Um, so I think when people see disabled people, first of all, the amount of people that think I'm a para, para Olympic athlete is just insane. Um, just because you're in the gym, do you think? Well, and I just find it so insulting because I have so, so much respect for the para Olympic athletes and I know that I'm not that. And I find it's insulting to me and it's insulting to them, you know, just because you go to the gym, you're not an Olympic athlete. So why is it any different for me? And I just find that so, like, it's so interesting to me that people, their first thought is the Paralympics. But then that stems from the fact that that's probably one of the very few representations that they've seen. And then going back to the issue of representation and being an inspiration, you've got films like Me Before You, Million Dollar Baby, where the lead disabled protagonist who has just become disabled ends up killing themselves. And it seems like our only two boxes of representation are, oh, you're an inspiration or you're suicidal and you're going to kill yourself. Um, and I have battled with depression, PTSD for the last three years. And at the very start of my injury, I did have suicidal tendencies and, you know, suicidal thoughts. Um, and I remember looking at all of this media and thinking, well, that's what that's kind of looks like what my path is. I remember someone told me to watch me before you after my injury. Well, I don't know why they said that, because I watched it and I, I was just knocked for six. I just remember thinking is that what I'm meant to be now so that that's the problem we know with representation it's what's one of the problems with representation it's a massive massive umbrella problem where people think that you know they don't realize that we are multifaceted you know I'm inspiring but I'm also you know um a daughter a sister um I can be a bit of a bitch I can be <laughs> I can be aggressive I can be rude I just like any human being you know or and then at the same time I can be loving I can be caring I'm not just your I don't exist just to inspire you and I think that is where the problem
0: lies it's this need to constantly put people in a box isn't it and people who say but yeah. well, you're in the inspiration category and that's all I have to do and I also think you saying that actually about being a bitch and you know not being this like perfect person because I think people assign you as an inspiration and then do you feel like they have this like unrealistic like they they hold you to these like super high moral standards because you can't put a foot wrong you are you are only an inspiration only like you can't be um inspiring because you've you know you're um you know creating a life for yourself after an injury but also like you are going to get things wrong, like you might, like you said, you might say something that's a bit mean or whatever.
1: Yeah, you know, so you might you... ask me before I've had coffee, and I might ask yeah. you, you know, my dad probably knows way too well, but like, and and it's, I think once I got, and it's, it's very, um, I think, prominent, not just to disabled people, but it's an issue online as well. I think, first of all, we need to stop idolizing celebrities and people we we see online, mm-hmm. because, um, you know, I, I, I would say no way I'm near the celebrity category myself but like I just I look, look online and it's just people living their lives you know they're just existing just the way everyone else is and if you like their work and you want to support their work cool but we need to stop idolizing people online and holding them to such high standards because then we also forget to hold them accountable. Um, I think I got called once like I, I can't remember who it was it was in an interview or something I got called the internet sweetheart and I was like please don't call me that <laughs> I do not want to be I don't want to be your hero okay yes. I'm, not here, I'm not here to save anyone in fact I would love to be the anti-hero of the fitness industry because I have such a love hate relationship with the fitness industry where I love fitness. But I hate the state the industry is in, so I would love to be an anti hero who can actually hold the industry accountable and you know start to deconstruct it and then reconstruct it in the ways that need to be done.
0: Well, I would love to talk about that because I feel like I definitely identify with that <laughs> um, and I would love to hear your thoughts on like yeah, maybe how your relationship with um, fitness has evolved throughout this you know this time and um you know just what your thoughts are about the state of the industry and what you think does need to be done better yeah so I think
1: the state of the industry is it's interesting because I I think when I first, well the reason I was so scared to get into fitness in the first place we're talking way back in 2015 um before I first set into the gym the reason why I didn't want to go and I was so scared to go and even when I did go I was going at like 11 o'clock at night and like ridiculous times, walk, you know, leaving the library and then going at half 11 at night. It was just ridiculous. First of all, it was unhealthy and it was unsafe. But I was doing that because it was such a patriarchal environment. And it was such an aggressive environment that I just didn't feel comfortable around all of these men. So I think there is so many different avenues of different problems for different intersections. So I know there are so many different problems that the transgender community are facing within the fitness industry. And then there's also so many problems that the disabled community continues to face in the fitness industry. And then there's issues that stem from LGTBQ+. So I think the the issue, my issue, what I see with the fitness industry is that it is modeled on the able-bodied fit male. Um, and then I do see an issue as well, because obviously there's a lot of uh, privilege that women in the fitness industry have where you have almost like cisgendered, white, thin, um, able-bodied um, females. Um, but they do, although they do sort of, I feel like they benefit from the privilege of being the, the desired body and the desired fitness ideal. I think there is also a problem of sexualization within the fitness industry massively for women.
0: Yes and I think if you just look at any like I'm particularly thinking about the bodybuilding style photography and everything the guys it's very like hyper masculine um, uh, representation and I think that's you know the man it's almost it's kind of like just building these like huge guys who you know who could like save us all with their massive arms and then The woman is kind of like, yeah, it's very, um, like you said, it's a very sexualized um, way of looking at things because I don't know about you, but having done photo shoots in fitness and in the more bodybuilding space, like early on in my fitness life, um, the male photographers are the ones who take a lot of these bodybuilding style photos so that obviously they're naturally going to say like and just like stick your bum out a bit and you know just do this position and give us a little this and give us a little that and you know I've been on the other side of the camera to that and have experienced that because it you know it's largely um you know a male space I think um traditionally the gyms have been dominated by men so a lot of it has been you know women coming into that space and having to fit the male view of what a fit body looks like, um, and having to conform to that. So we've got a lot of people who aren't going to fit that very narrow view, and that very narrow, thin, white view as well, particularly. Um, and so we don't have any real diversity in fitness, and just like just fitness magazine covers. I mean, it's shocking when you look back through the back catalogue of things like women's health and men's health, and um, you know the fact that just that not not even for the sake of body diversity just for the sake the sake of having um you know 95 percent I mean I have I should add I've taken that percentage from my brain that's not uh, accurate data <laughs> but um you know roughly like you know 90 percent 95 percent of covers are um with white people on alone and they are representing this um body standard that is largely unattainable for the vast majority of the population um it's no wonder you're gonna feel intimidated by it it's no wonder the gym's a scary place because it does feel like you're walking into like yeah like a man's world and you've just got to try and conform to fit in and i don't know about i would wonder if you know whether you found like at points you've had to you know, tailor yourself to fit that, you know, to, the, to, to, um, to do that. I mean, even through like filming workout videos, I think often on social media, there was a, a period, I feel like maybe less so, but it could also partly be because I'm not seeking out that kind of content anymore. But there was a point when workout videos were very hyper-sexualized, um, things, whether it's girls doing glute exercises. And I've seen some really like fairly graphic things. um, and i know that um the you know the videographer once again would be a man in that situation so i just wondered yeah what your how you felt like you've had to maybe like um mold yourself to feel accepted in fitness in the past
1: yeah so i think i mean i'd love to just say as well i think that i f- think really for me the problem that I can see with the fitness industry is even that term it's the fact that it's an industry Mm. Um, now obviously it's going to be an industry because it's a field of work where people work but the fact that it is such a it's a, first of all, it's patriarchal and even the women in there and the successful women within the fitness industry, we have been raised through patriarchy throughout all of our lives. So we do look at things through a male patriarchal gaze, even if, you know, I'm 24 now and I'm slowly starting to look at things and think, why do I think that? Um, and I feel like I'm now sort of taking off the glasses at 24 of, of the male gaze and starting to put on the glasses of the female gaze um, and only just doing that and only just realizing that. But it's the fact that the fitness industry is an industry and it's a capitalist Industry and it rather than just being what it should be about, which is about health and fitness and health and well being, because um, obviously that skews what we actually think fitness and well being is. Because what fitness and well being is one week is whatever is going to make the biggest sponsors the most money, and um, when that might change the next week. Um, but I think, in terms of you know the other question of fitting into um, the space, I do, I have massively felt that, especially when I started to properly curate content and purposely put out content rather than just making stuff and putting it online and um, looking at what works and what does I am very aware of, um, because a lot of my friends in the industry are, are the gym Gymshark athletes and they post things like glute workouts and, you know, ab, ab circuits and things like that. And I'm very aware that the kind of content that they make that does very well is content that I physically cannot make because I am disabled. Um, and I went for a stage um, it really sort of like last year, I kind of hit me quite hard where I was really qu- quite tense and really quite hyper aware of the fact that I was very different I think because I had just been living and really just kind of uh, so much had happened and I really hadn't really thought about it but when I sort of took a moment to look around I realized how different I was to the rest of the industry um and I really started to to really get into my head how different I was and that I couldn't post these things that people were always double clicking on the things that really got engagement and and they are more um the stereotypes of you know able-bodied fitness and I think that is one of the problems that disabled people face in the industry is that they think getting fit is becoming the able-bodied ideal um when for a disabled person that's not what it is um I mean I do still carry a lot of able-bodied privilege in the sense that even I am disabled and I do have I guess you would say overtly disabled features like the fact that I use a wheelchair and that I do have um atrophy in my in my legs um for I'd say from my upper body I do have a lot of able bodied features um so I do there's I I do naturally benefit from that privilege in the industry um but I think it is a big problem and it's something that I was very hyper aware of and I think after a few months I kind of just got very honest about it on my stories and I just kind of there was a lot of things going on and I think I just ended up having a little rant (laughs) um which is normally not a good idea but it kind of paid off and the loads of people just saying you know I never thought about it but I'm so sorry that you're feeling this way and that the industry has this kind of effect. Um, And then it kind of just made me think more about, you know, actually, what do I want to put out and what do I actually want to make and why do people follow me? Um, And it's just kind of, I would never say that I was consciously trying to strive to the ideal and kind of consciously trying to be like everyone else. But I think, I guess in the back of my mind, you see what is successful and you see what the norm is and you think that's what you should be. Whereas now I'm kind of really just harnessing on What do I want to create? What do I want to put out? What do I want to be? Um, And what do people want to see from me? Because I do offer a different perspective and I do offer something different. So what can people get from that? And for me to try and be the able-bodied ideal and for me just doing things that other people are doing, that that market there is being missed Mm. if I was to carry on doing that.
0: And how do you think also like that, shift in perspective has has viewed in how you train and like maybe what your goals are in training anymore because um I mean for me personally like initially starting training um for a long time everything was um you know I might have said you know I'm training to get fit fitter but you know I also equated fitter to being like leaner more, more visibly muscular having you know abs or like defined arms or whatever. And, you know, that's what I considered successful fitness to be. And I wonder if your, yeah, your perspective has shifted on that. Have you found that, you know, you've um, evolved your perspective on fitness and the way you view your body and the way you view your kind of how you set your goals?
1: If yeah, you set your goals. So I, yeah, so I think my perspective on fitness evolved massively, like, after my injury. Because um, when I did start to get back into fitness, more just when I was out in my everyday life, I realized how my body had to function differently. So I do have to be very strong in my upper body, and I do have to have good endurance, um, and aesthetics and then i that so there was that side of things where i was like right i really need to get fit in terms of i need to improve my endurance and i need to get strong so that i can live independently and live the life i want to live and then there was the perspective of well of after everything i'd been through um you know a trauma of you know becoming paralyzed and you know spending that time in hospital and going through PTSD and depression and all of these things that I'd been through, it kind of made me put into perspective how little aesthetics actually matter. Um, and I kind of just had this moment where I was like, who cares what you look like? You know, your body is just a vessel for who you are. So why, why are people orientating their whole entire lives and the whole beauty that is fitness around that? I just, you know, it just really put things into perspective for me. And I think there was that issue as well of the fact that I couldn't physically fit the box of able body beauty. It kind of made me after a while of trying to fit the box and realizing that I just wasn't going to fit in the box that like me and my wheelchair were not going to fit in the box, so I kind of had this moment where I was like, "Do you know what? Why is there a box?" And then it got me thinking more and more, and over the years, I feel like I've had such a moment of almost like an epiphany or a realization of you know how much is intrinsically linked to patriarchy and capitalism and you know why do I hate the things I hate about myself I only hate them because I've been taught to hate them over years and years um so I had this I've had this process over the last few years now and I think it's really coming through in my content where I'm becoming more and more confident and more um I guess liberated even from things from like my style my fashion and the things that I'm more comfortable to talk about um, but I've had this moment where I thought you know what keep your box. I'm gonna completely deconstruct my ideal of what beauty is and my ideal of what worth is. And I'm gonna reconstruct my own worth. And I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna share it with anyone. I'm not gonna say, well, this is what I think my, this is what I put my worth on because I don't want people to then go, "Ah, oh, okay, So my worth is what Sophie's worth is. So I don't want people to think, say, for example, if I feel like I've completed my to-do list or if I've been productive, if that's my idea of worth, I don't want people to go, okay, I then have to be productive to be worthy because Sophie is only worthy when she's been productive because I know there is that element of social responsibility that I have just naturally inherited. Um, So, yeah, I just kind of have this process of years now where I've just been, deconstructing everything that I've learned uh, in over my life and I've been reconstructing it and that has obviously trickled into my training so I know now I'm going through where I've lost a bit of strength over lockdown I'm now my goals now really center around strength training um but you know I'm not I'm not being too I guess military would be the right word with myself and saying I know there's things that I want to achieve but I'm also understanding of the fact that life happens and we're all very individual human beings who have had different experiences and i'm very i have to be very aware of things that i've experienced and you know allow myself room to not hit my calorie target not hit my protein target or not track at all even things like that and and just not taking it so just making sure that my my fitness goals so aren't intrinsically linked to my self-worth
0: yes and i i think that's so important because i think like you said we get caught we can get really bogged down in like having to have a number to define our worth whether that's the number you the weight you lift or um you know the time it takes you to do something or we just get so caught in these numbers or even if it's like that calorie goal something it's like I've constantly got to be tracking my value as something like I I always um encourage people and I have say it like regular on this podcast like um particularly when it comes to things like fitness trackers as well like try having time away from them and realizing how you then relate to your body without it because i think often people are like my workout doesn't count unless it's tracked unless it's valued in some way unless it has some sort of numerical value then it's not that doesn't count and like it absolutely counts your body doesn't suddenly go because you don't have a watch on or you haven't whatever gone no, I haven't, my muscles haven't been stimulated or like I haven't been ch- physically challenged. Nobody still has the workout. It's just not, you don't have that numerical number at the end of it. And I think that's really important to like separate that. And I also loved what you said about not having a box and just creating your own box and also keeping it to yourself in a way. Cause I do think that's really important of like having, we get so particularly on social media, the comparison. Um, and so like trying to find, you know, if it's not this way, then there's, what's the other thing I have to aim for? Like, I think when I talk about like intuitive movement, intuitive eating, I think sometimes people think that there's a perfect way to do that. And it's not, it's a very individual process and it's very unique and individual to the person. There might be similarities with other people, but largely it's going to be your own journey. And I think, I don't know, maybe you've felt this about fitness, that it tries to make us all the same and a bit uniform and, and like tries to make us all like this. Um monolith of like people all trying to get these same goals but actually I think one of the ways we can reclaim fitness back is by saying like no I'm a unique individual who's who need who has different needs to another person and I need to meet those needs in the way I choose to and not subscribe to this you know the blanket way of doing things whether that's um you know if often you know personal trainers can say like just exercise this way eat this way without taking the individual into account and I think yeah that's really important So I'm really glad you um brought it up um so I think one of the things I um yeah as we kind of um go through our conversation is I would wonder like in your ideal fitness industry in your in your ideal fitness world let's not even call it an industry because I think you're right like um what is the what is the dream gym environment for you what is the dream fitness environment um how do you envision an inclusive space and what does that look like for you um god it's such a
1: dream isn't it (laughs) um if I'm if I'm really envisioning I mean I I really when I was getting really I remember a time last year where I was really frustrated with a gym I was at and the fact that it was just so inaccessible and I had this moment where I was like why the hell am I paying for full admission to this gym, full membership, when I can't, I can access what? The free weights and the cable machine, that's it. And a, and a hand bike as well. Um, and the disabled toilet has been broke for six months. Why am I paying full price to be here? Um, and I kind of just had this really angry moment where I was looking at accessibility in gyms and really realised how just crap it is. Um, but I think for me, the, I, I mean, in terms of everything I do in life uh, I'm very take down the patriarchy so I think if we're talking about the same (laughs) if we're talking about the fitness space I think that is one of the things I think well the foundations of fitness is built on patriarchy and capitalism so the thing that I would love to do is take the patriarchy and take the capitalism out of fitness and people love to say don't put politics into fitness you know we're all the same here but the people who say that are the people who all look the same and who all fit into the gym. Um, So it's easy for them to say. I mean, I would love to take the patriarchy and take the, Uh, the capitalism but also you know we need to think as well about how heteronormative the gym is and if we're thinking about gyms as a true space of health and well-being and not fitness um i mean there's nothing wrong with you know if someone wants to bodybuild and get on the stage and doing competition they have full autonomy and i would never judge someone for that but if we're looking at a space of true health and well-being to the general population we need to be looking at the needs of the general um population and what their health and well-being needs are so I I really love this idea of gyms more being health and well-being hubs I think the term gym has such it's got such like a a, I don't know I guess it's more of like an aggressive sort of statement to it for for the general population I'm very comfortable in the gym now because I've been going for five years but for someone who isn't um maybe you know maybe my stepmom or maybe my dad might feel a bit more uncomfortable because it's it's a gym Um, you know, if we're thinking more about health and well-being, the idea of it being a hub is a lot more inclusive. And if we're looking at things, we're looking at health and well-being as a holistic um, sphere, I guess, we need to be looking at different intersections. So we need to be looking at the transgender community um, and, you know, the LGBTQ plus community. And I, I say them separately just because I know how much um, trauma and how much stigma there is around the transgender community um, and there has been for since the, the dawn of time because transgender people have been around since the dawn of time but it's really becoming a subject that is coming to light now Um especially within the fitness industry um, so I think we nearly need to be bringing intersections back into well not back into we need to be bringing them in to our fitness spaces um, I think that might be a, a good place to start <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think, um, and I, in some ways, I think with the right input from the right people and, you know, the people from those communities um, who are, you know, who realize the barriers and, you know, know what they feel and they need to to be comfortable. Like we need to listen to those people and have their input because um, in some ways, you know, it would challenge, like you said, the standard view, the traditional view, but it's doable. It is doable. We just need to have a little bit of extra thought, a little bit of we need to listen to other people and we need to work with everyone and, um, you know, get everyone's perspective. Um, things like that as well.
1: I mean, it, it, it all trickles back round into a circle effect of where that is going to create so many more opportunities for people within them communities because it's going to create more financial and employment opportunities. Um, and then that obviously creates more representation when you see them people in them positions. But when we're, um, I think it's important to say when we're talking about health and wellbeing as a, you know, as a health and wellbeing hub, to be talking about things as well of like, what, what things impact our health? So, okay, we could be um, financial um, issues. So things like, even if it was just like a financial, um, financial guidance session. Um, once uh, once a month or something like that. Um, sexual well being, um, you know, normalising the talk of sexuality and sex and sex positivity, um, and talking about the environment and things like that. All of these different avenues which affect our general health and well being, which is what a gym is meant to be. You're meant to be there to better yourself and to better your health and well being. But it seems like everyone is so fixated on what they think their health and well being is, but so many different avenues are being missed
0: yes and I do not absolutely love that um talking about like finances and environment and sexuality because yes you know we boiled down fitness into um what you look like how you exercise what you eat that is actually a very small part of like the summer fitness and there's so many other things that come into the equation you know mental health I think is one of the key things I think how can we be exercising our bodies if we're not exercising our minds like I don't I don't understand why there's such a, um, why those two things feel so separate um, and they're actually so related. But yeah, I love those ideas. And the idea of calling it a hub is genius. I love it. (laughs) Um, And the same with like fitness brands, Um, whether it be, I don't know, activewear brands or sports nutrition. I'm trying to think of things like that. Is there anything you've seen in terms of like how... You think brands could be more inclusive, um, whether it be through like their marketing or just generally like who they employ and how they run things behind the scenes?
1: Yeah, so I think when it comes to representation, there is the problem of who do we see on our screens, whether that is the big screen, the TV screen, and our phone screens. So um, I, I talk with Gymshark a lot about, you know, I work with Gymshark, I'm sponsored with Gymshark, and we've spoke before about issues in representation within their own brand, and we speak very openly about it. And, you know, I tell them what I need to see more, and we have honest discussions. And when we have campaigns and things coming up, like I'm shooting a campaign with them in a couple of weeks, actually. Um, and something that I'm always very insistent of is I want to know who's on the shoot, who's in the campaign, um, who's working on it, um, and things like that. So that is a responsibility of people within the industry when you're taking a job asking who who is in this role who's doing it with me um because i think for the true fight for equality we need to be giving up a little bit of power so if you think there could be someone who deserves not who deserves your role more because does isn't mean you don't deserve it but if there is someone who could you know use that role in a different way for a better purpose for more representation then that conversation needs to be had because you might it's not like you know you don't deserve the role But um, there's people who have been missing out on jobs and missing out on roles for so long. Um, So in terms of, you know, there's that of who we see on the screen and, where you know, the phone screen, big screen, whatever. And then there is who's working behind the camera, who is working, um, more importantly, in the boardrooms, because that is where issues get missed. Um, I've seen some terrible campaigns over the years and you just think like. Do you what does your boardroom look like? And you know what their boardroom looks like. It's just all straight white men. Um So that's where problems happen. And I think that is a problem across the fitness industry in general. And I can say one thing that I'm really proud about working with Gymshark is that they have had problems in the past and they have owned and admitted them, put their hands up, you know, whether it's to me privately or whether it's publicly. Um, But they are always working and trying to look at, you know, doing the next thing without it being um a performance i know there's a few things you know that we're working on and that i always you know trying to to get to get moving so that is really great to see but i think it is the issue of brands realizing that they have the responsibility to do that Um, because i know a lot of brands don't really see it as their issue and they don't really see it as something that they have to tackle but it absolutely is
0: and I think that's when we as the consumers have to make sure that we convey to the brands that we like that it is a it is important that they take stand on issues that they do um you know ask them who are who is on your board who is running this campaign like you know we have to make sure brands are as transparent as possible um and and push them to do so because at the end of the day they rely on our custom they rely on us to do that so it's great to have people like yourself um really like pushing the conversation kind of like inside the um you know the company and then it's also up to us to like use our money to spend it where we feel like yeah we want you know what we want and also use it to um say you know we need more we need we need to see you know different bodies we need to see people of different um you know, we need to have racial diversity because, you know, and we need that, like you said, not just on social media images, but we need it, you know, the people, the photographer, we need, we need to have all these different people, um, to be, you know, part of the conversation. And I think that's, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's a learning curve for so many right now. And, um, can I carry on? Sorry, sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. <laughs> But um, I always say to people, when when you
1: buy, you are voting with your wallet. As a consumer, you're voting with your wallet. And um, in terms of, you know, in supporting the disabled community, I think what people need to understand understand is that we are tired. And what only are we experiencing these things every day, we're fighting these things every day, and we're constantly being asked. And, you know, as someone who is my job with this platform, I come on, you know, your podcast to talk about these things. I'm very comfortable to do so. I would tell you if I wasn't. <laughs> But I do have to take into a client like, okay, I know this is going to be tiring for me, so I'm going to make sure I've got the evening off after. Um, But a lot of disabled people, when we're out in the real world, we don't get that break to say, I'm going to take a break from ableism. (laughs) We don't get to do that. So I always say to people, one thing you can do to help fight ableism and to help fight for the disabled community without tiring out the disabled community is to hold brands and hold companies accountable, to hold spaces, to hold enterprises accountable. I mean, you don't have to know a disabled person, you don't have to be disabled, you don't have to know a disabled person to, next time you're out at a restaurant, ask, "Um, where's your accessibility? Um, Do you have a disabled toilet? I, I didn't see a ramp outside, I saw a staircase. You don't have to be disabled or know anyone who's disabled to do things like that. So it's things like that of you can do that without, um, without tiring out the disabled community. And it, the same thing trickles over back to brands when you're spending your money. It doesn't cost you anything to ask a brand and hold them accountable and saying, I noticed you haven't got any disabled models. Um, you know or how are you working to represent the disabled community within your brand and when more and more people are asking these questions and holding brands accountable it supports us without tiring us out
0: yeah i i think that's really helpful and yeah i think um on that note thank you so much sophie i i think this has been a really productive conversation and you know i've got lots to take away from it and i hope everyone listening has got lots to take away with it where can everyone find you find your work find your um like just yeah incredible self oh thank you (laughs) um so I think
1: you know I think I was very clever when I'm making my handles I kept them the same across all social medias um I don't know what one moment of genius from me but um I'm Sophie J Butler on Twitter Instagram and then Sophie Butler on YouTube as well so that's where you can find me
0: amazing and i will make sure that's linked um in the show notes and everything so everyone can find you there as well um, it's been an absolute pleasure yeah thank you for having pleasure. me <laughs> and i hope, and i hope when lockdown ends and we get back to some sort of normality then we get to connect in real life too because i'd love that yeah that would be lovely <laughs> um thank you so much sophie have an awesome day and thank you everyone listening if you did enjoy it make sure you're using the hashtag train happy podcast tag us at train happy and i'll see you next week goodbye everyone